Well, good morning, Crossroads. I am excited to be kicking off week two of this series, What Would Jesus Undo? This is a playoff of those old bracelets that if you were around in the 90s, early 2000s, everybody was wearing on their hand. What would Jesus do? That was a reminder to do the right thing. Today we're taking that a little bit different direction, and we're realizing that there are some things that creep into our lives that honestly Jesus would undo. And we're trying to take a focus on, on some of those things that creep in so that we can analyze, take an inventory of where we're at spiritually and make sure that we're where God wants us to be. I actually want to start today with just a, a passage of scripture we find in John chapter 1. This is a grouping of verses that's been on my heart as we were thinking about this Sunday and what this message would be. I couldn't get away from what it says in John chapter 1, which is a, a Bible passage that we use Every year at what has quickly become one of my favorite services every year, that's our Christmas Eve service. I don't know if anyone resonates with that, but that is just a sacred moment that we are able to share with family and friends. So I know it's only April, but I invite you to join us at Christmas Eve service. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, it happens on December 24th, in case you were wondering when that happens. Uh, but the whole idea is that part of that tradition is we walk through John chapter 1. Because it is such a beautiful description of who Jesus is and, and how he came to planet Earth, and even more importantly, why he came to planet Earth, it says in John 1 that in, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus, okay? The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light for all mankind. And get this, it says, that light, the light of Jesus, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness has no chance when the light of Jesus shines into it. It's powerful. But one of my favorite verses in all of John 1 is when it gets to verse 14. It says, the word, Jesus, became flesh. God became man and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I got to be honest with you, the power and the meaning of that verse has only grown in significance for me personally over the years, because I've come to this realization that Jesus came to planet Earth for you and for me. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and that is all of us. But he came to this planet full of two things equally, full of grace and full of truth. Why is that significant? Well, he is full of grace. That means that God loves you and there is nothing you can do about it. That's the kind of love that he has for you today. Can I get an amen? Can I get a shout out? God loves you today. There's nothing you can do about it. Now, here's the thing. We, we take that seriously here at Crossroads. In fact, we do, uh, we're very intentional about developing a culture of grace and truth. And when we talk about a culture of grace, that's the reality that it's our goal that anybody can walk through the doors of our church and know immediately that they are loved. That's why it's all over our t-shirts. That's why it's everywhere. You are loved. God loves you with an extravagant love. And in his grace, in his mercy for you, he has paid a price that you could not pay so that you could have forgiveness of your sins, so you could walk in freedom, so that you could experience true life to the fullest. That's what he has done for us. When it says Jesus came full of grace, that's what that means. 
He came full of love for you. There is nothing that you can do about it. But equally on the other side, he came full of truth. Jesus is truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And what Jesus speaks to our lives is truth that changes us. I don't expect God to conform to my image. No, God expects me to conform to his image. He wants me to become more like him. And as I follow Jesus, as I experience and start to understand his truth for my life, it guides me. It changes me. That's the journey that he calls us to. That's how I become more like Jesus. And so when it says Jesus came full of grace and full of truth, I mean, that really is the foundation to the line that we throw around here all the time. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. Why? Because in his truth, he calls us to follow him. He calls us to become more and more like him each and every day. That's the life. That's how his light shines in us. And that is a light that shines into the darkness, the deepest darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness doesn't have a chance and that's the life that God calls us to. He wants our lives to be lights shining in the darkness so that people can see what God is doing in us and be drawn not to us, but to him. That's the whole point of the Christian life. We are being changed. We are being transformed. People see something's different, and they want what we've got. The problem is we, allowed, we allow pride to creep into our lives, all right? And I think the farther that we get from that experience where we encounter Jesus and realize I am loved dearly and deeply with an extravagant love. God has paid a price for me for my sin that I could not pay. He has given me a gift that I could not earn, that I do not deserve. The farther we get from that experience, the farther that we get from that moment, I think the more and more we struggle with and grapple with pride. Because we don't think about it. We think we're immune to it. But we start getting a little full of ourselves. We start thinking and buying into that lie that we have arrived, right? And that's a major trap that we can fall into. And so what we're talking about today is battling this concept of, of spiritual pride, thinking that I'm better than I am, having this false sense of self-worth or, or self-justification where I am suddenly, you know, better than everyone else. I deserve what God has given me because I'm pretty amazing. That's the problem that we're talking about today. And it creeps in in every one of our lives. We have to fight that battle constantly to stay humble. So without any further ado, I'm going to give you the best message on humility you've ever heard your entire life. Thank you. Like three people. I appreciate that. So it says in Luke 18, Jesus is speaking here. It says, and he also told this parable, Jesus tells a story here, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. This is the attitude of spiritual pride we're talking about. I have arrived. I am very righteous. I am amazing. God, you're welcome. I'm here. <laughs> I got this. They were looking at others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You couldn't get any farther apart on the spectrum than these two people. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they've got all of the rules down. They, they are living the life. They are setting the example. They are setting the way. The tax collector is the guy who's lying and cheating everybody. He's despicable. Nobody likes the tax collector. And the problem is, it's the spiritual pride. It's the attitude. 
as this story unfolds, you're going to realize, man, that Jesus is circling with a big red marker. Hey, the problem is your attitude. It's your heart. You've been destroyed by your self-righteous pride. It's not allowing any room for God to work in your heart. And the thing is, we all fall into that trap. It, it's, pride it creeps its way into our lives in every area of our life, whether it's just, you know, job-related or activity-related or spiritually-related. Pride is something that we always have to keep track of because it's the original sin. My pride says, God, I know how to do this better than you do, so I'm going to do things my way. Pride gets me in all kinds of bad situations in my life that honestly, they always lead to a fall. Pride goes before the fall. That's what we see in Proverbs. That is great wisdom. And I have to be honest with you, pride may have crept into my own life in the last couple of weeks, and I'd like to just be vulnerable with you this morning and share that about a week and a half ago, I was down in Florida for spring break. I know it's a shock to a lot of you. I went down to Florida. And about 78% of Indiana was down there with me. There was just a lot of, a lot of Hoosiers, uh, if you will. And the thing is, we were down there with some people that we knew, and throughout the week, I'd been kind of talking trash a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been talking trash because I think I'm a pretty good athlete. I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, there it is. Uh, <laughs> I have a question. Why is that funnier? than the joke I told earlier. I, I feel like the first one was a lot better. Thank you. So I had been talking some trash because we were hanging out with some people, and uh, one of these people was a 12-year-old girl who is basically a world-class swimmer. And I'm saying, you know what? I'm pretty good at swimming. I will challenge you to a match. And all week, we'd been building up this competitive swimming match that was going to happen at the pool at our hotel. And I have to be honest with you. Proverbs are correct. Pride goes before a fall. And in the day and age that we live in, everything is captured on video. If you guys would like to see me completely humiliated, now's the time. Speak now or forever. Hold your peace. All right. So here's what happened. Uh, we're at the uh, hotel pool. We clear it all out, mind you. People are on vacation. We clear it out, and we're off to the races. In that moment, I think I was winning. Just stop right there. Uh, I'm already losing. Never mind. Keep going. I'm already losing. Um, I made a huge mistake. This is supposed to be a four-lap race, down and back, down and back. I did that whole lap in one breath, underwater. <laughs> and I'm realizing right now that I'm already gassed. I don't have any air. If you just pause the video right here, pause right there. She's doing these fancy somersaults underwater. I have no idea how to do that. So I'm already gassed. I already can't breathe. And it's in this moment I made a really critical decision that saved me. And if you run the tape, this is where it all changes for me. I stopped. <laughs> I turned around, and suddenly we were even again. And so everything is good. I feel like I've got a chance again. But no, she's still beating me. I mean, she's crushing me. At this point, nobody really knows it. I mean, I actually had quite a following. People were cheering for middle-aged Tim. That's what they were cheering for at the pool. It's at this point where I'm not even in the picture anymore. I'm about to die. Like, I stood up and started running. Uh, I, al I almost didn't make it. I, I'm thankful I reached the finish line without passing out. It was humiliating, and that's my story. I, you need to know that. That's how it happened. There's no, no sugarcoating. That was a disaster for me. 
Don't ever take on a 12-year-old girl who you think you're faster at swimming. That's the moral of the story. Let us pray and we'll be dismissed. <laughs> Pride goes before the fall, right? Man, we, we always get ourselves in terrible situations because we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And when that creeps into our thinking in regard to our relationship with God, we are setting ourselves up for disaster, all right? So Jesus is setting up this story. There's two people on the opposite sides of the spectrum. People would naturally respect the Pharisee in this day and age. They would despise the tax collector. So Jesus is pointing out something really, really important, and we would be wise to lean in. Jesus says, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector right beside me over here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. You're welcome. I am amazing. You are lucky to have me. I mean, this is gross. This is a disgusting prayer. It's not about God at all. This prayer is entirely about himself. Oh, man, this guy thinks he is amazing. And the problem is he's blinded to the fact that he has created no space in his heart for God. And that's the principle here. When we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God. Will, will you just consider that truth for a moment? Don't miss this. When we are full of ourselves, when I am consumed by my own sense of, of worth, pride, my own sense of goodness or righteousness, I haven't left any room in my heart and then for God to work and to draw me closer to him. I don't need it. I'm okay, I'm good. I'm not like these other people around me. Pfft, I'm great. Man, that's an attitude that destroys our spiritual lives. That is a cancer to our relationship with Jesus. We have to be careful and, and mind our hearts and realize that this is really dangerous. This is something that Jesus spoke into on multiple occasions. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes time specifically and a long period of time to talk about this. He says, hey, listen, when you give, don't do it to, for everybody to see like, oh man, I just gave this thousands of dollars check. Oh, I think I might have dropped that. I'm sorry, did I drop that? Pick that up and see, is that mine? Is it for thousands of dollars? Yeah, that's mine. No, if, if it's $20, that's not mine. Mine is only thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Here it is. And put it. That's, that's not what God wants us to do. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give in secret. That's how you honor and glorify God. And it's not about you. It's about Jesus. He cares much more about your heart. He says, when you pray, don't pray in such a way that everybody looks at you. Don't pray these weird and crazy prayers that show everybody you know how to pray. Oh, man, use the, the pastor voice, God, yes. No, don't do that. Stop it. Don't do it. That's a conversation between you and Jesus. You don't do that to be seen by men for everybody to go, man, that guy can pray. Did you hear that pastoral voice he has? Amazing. It's not about you. Jesus goes on to say, when you fast, when you actually go to the point where you're giving up food, you're, 
You're giving up something that your body needs so that you can focus on craving what God desires in your life and lifting up something that's really important to you in prayer. You are fasting. Don't do that to be seen by men. Jesus says these people are fasting and they're making themselves look all terrible and disheveled and they walk outside. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm fasting. That's what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't want you to do that, right? I'm fasting and my stomach hurts a lot. That's not what God wants you to do. He says when you're fasting, do your hair, take a bath, wash your face. Don't let anybody know that you're doing that. that that's an intimate moment between you and God. That's not to bring some sort of amazing, you know, accolade to you. That's between you and God. But man, we become so full of ourselves, and it sneaks and it creeps into our lives where we think better of ourselves than we ought to. And it does, it creeps in. We don't think about it. But the trap is that the farther we get from that front door where we encounter the grace of Jesus, where we experience his extravagant love, where we realize, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you have paid a price I could not pay. You're giving me a gift I can't earn. I don't deserve this. Jesus, thank you. The farther that I get away from that encounter with Jesus, the more susceptible I am to being filled with pride. And God doesn't stand for that. We always have to stand in the presence of God and recognize, man, he is God, I am not. I need Jesus. It's by his grace that I am where I am. He saved me. I didn't do anything about it. That's all Jesus. And that's the attitude that, that God longs to see in our hearts. This story continues in Luke chapter 18. It says, but the tax collector, the bad guy, the, the outcast, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He's not worthy. But was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There's no pride there. All you see there is humility. He recognizes, God, I'm, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. There's nothing that I have done to deserve this conversation with you. God, please be merciful to me. Show me your kindness. Show me your love. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Man, that's big time. These are really important principles that we have to put into practice in our lives. What would Jesus undo he would undo spiritual pride. He calls us to be humble, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And here's the principle. It's when we empty ourselves, we actually make room to be used by God. We create space in our heart, create space in our life for him to move, for him to develop us, to help, help him have the opportunity to help us become more like him. That's the whole point. When I'm full of myself, there's no room for God to work. But when I'm empty, that creates all kind of space for God to move. And the way I stay empty is by staying humble, realizing I need Jesus. Because at the end of the day, pride is about my glory, whereas humility is about God's glory. And we, we can't fall into that trap of being too full of ourselves. It can't be about me. 
that focus has to stay on Jesus. Man, if I'm growing, if I'm not who I once was, it's not because of me. It's not because I'm great. It's because of what Jesus has done in me. That's his light shining in my life, shining in my darkness. And that's supposed to bring people to him, not to me. We have to stay humble and realize, man, I desperately need Jesus no matter where I find myself at in life because he has paid the price I could not pay. He's given me a gift I couldn't earn that I do not deserve. That's all him. He did that. And so I walk humbly before God, and then he, he gives me grace. I love what it says in 1 Peter 5. This is really important because it's speaking to this concept of humility. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I want you to consider the words that are used there. When it says God opposes the proud, we're not talking about God, you know, stands idly by and watches with displeasure those who are proud. No, this is an active term. Like, he opposes you. You're standing in the ring and across from you is God. And he's saying, yeah, you try what you want to, but I'm opposing this because your pride is not taking you anywhere where I want you to go. He is actively engaging against you. That is not a place you want to be. The only thing I could even picture in my life that would be even close to that is a memory I have from the 90s. When I was in high school, I remember when Mike Tyson came back to boxing. I don't know if anybody's with me on this. You're like, whatever, Tim, you lost me. But I will never forget in high school, the formative years of life, there was a guy named Peter McNeely that went to fight Mike Tyson. His first fight out of retirement, he'd been out for like four years. And by retired, I mean he was in jail. But that's beside the point. Uh, but when Mike Tyson uh, came out of retirement, his first fight was Peter McNeely. He's this big Irish guy, and he was just all talk. I mean, he kept saying in every interview, Mike Tyson doesn't scare me. I'm bigger than he is. I'm going to attack that guy. I'm going to come out of my corner. I'm going to punch him out. I mean, he was talking trash to Mike Tyson. <laughs> and true to form. I mean, this is how it happened. Peter McNeely, when the bell rang, ding, 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 he came out guns blazing, throwing punches, boom, 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 and in nine seconds was knocked to the floor. That happened, nine seconds. People ride on bulls at rodeos for longer than that. He lasted a minute and a half, and then they disqualified him because his, his manager said, we're throwing in the towel. He can't take this punishment anymore. It didn't work out for him. He was opposed by Mike Tyson. Now, I'm not saying that Mike Tyson is God. Don't hear me say that this morning. <laughs> that would not be a good, good illustration. But I am saying that when I walk out in my pride, when I act like I have arrived, if there's any attitude in my heart that says, God, I'm thankful I'm not like these people around me, you better look out, because God opposes that pride. He opposes it, but he gives grace to the humble. And I want to be walking in God's grace. I want to experience that life that he has. His life is light, and that light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome that light. And when it's all about me, I drown out that light of Jesus in my life. That can't be how we live. We have to be focusing on staying humble and becoming more like Jesus. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 5. It's also the Sermon on the Mount. He says, in the same way, 
let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what it's all about. The Word became flesh. Jesus became a man. God became man. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. And that's who Jesus is, and that's what he does. He loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. No matter how far down that journey of life you are, he wants you to become more like him. So what would Jesus undo? Is there some areas in your life where you're realizing you've fallen into that trap of being a little bit too full of yourself? You're grappling with some pride. I would encourage you today to lay that pride at the feet of Jesus because God opposes that pride. But man, he gives grace to the humble. When we lay that down at the feet of Jesus, he meets us where we're at. He embraces us. He helps us to become more like him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me as we come to a close today? I want to ask you something. Where are you recognizing? I, I hope that God's been speaking to you as we've been here together today. Has God been identifying some areas in your life where maybe you've allowed some pride to creep into your life, into your heart? I would challenge you today to make sure you just clear the mechanism. Get, get it out of there. Because if you're full of yourself, there's no room for God to actually move and work in your heart. It's when you empty yourself and you say, Jesus, I, I need you. That's when you become that perfect place. You're in that perfect spot for God to use you, for him to mold you and to change you into becoming more like him. Let's let that be the desire of our hearts today. Let's draw close to him. He will draw close to us. Jesus, we're so thankful today for who you are, the extravagant love that you have for us. The unbelievable reality that when we say yes to you, Jesus, when we say, Jesus, you are Lord, when we believe in our heart that God raised you from the dead, there's that unbelievably beautiful and sacred moment where you save us, you forgive us, you set us free. And it's all because, Jesus, you paid a price that we cannot pay. It's impossible. You have given us a gift that we could not earn, that we don't deserve. And yet, that is the measure of your love for us. That is what you do for us. God, my prayer today is that you would help us to not forget, not to lose sight of all that you have done for us, the way that you love us, to not be so full of ourselves that we're blinded to who it is that you are and what it is that you're doing. God, help us to empty ourselves of us. Work in our hearts. Help us become more like you. We love you. We praise you today. We pray this in your name. Amen.